Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Alyssa DiCaprio, Chief Economist at R3, where she recently completed an extensive review of the vast and growing literature on central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs, which threw a rather fascinating light on not only what central banks and banks are doing right now, but also what they might do in the future. Alyssa, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Having conducted this literature review, do you feel able now to characterize what the current state of play in in the CBDC universe might be, by which I mean things like uh, how many live CBDCs have versus how many proofs of concept and pilot schemes we have, the whole retail versus wholesale debate, and of course, what's happening in developed markets as opposed to what's happening in developing markets. How clear a picture do you have of what's happening? Well, I think those are actually two different questions, um, because in terms of what's happening in the state of play, that is absolutely, you cannot learn that from the literature. Um, the literature has a lot of very interesting facts and figures um, and really does good analysis on the data, but it takes six months to a year to complete a paper and to publish it, maybe longer if it's an academic paper, not just a policy note. Um, so I feel like the things that we learn from the literature are more about uh, the potential ways you could design a central bank digital currency rather than who's issuing it, who's been successful. And I think a second uh, part of this answer is also that there's so few issuances that there's very, very little data. Um, so a lot of the literature tends to be theoretical rather than actually based on uh, what's been issued. Your point about the uh, learning how to design a CBDC is, is well made. Uh, there seem to be, a, on that very point, there seem to be a number of things we've been talking about ever since CBDCs first emerged on the scene like how it would affect the funding of the, the private commercial banks, uh, how it would uh, either enable or disable the way central banks conduct monetary policy, and of course the entire possibility of, of banks being disintermediated in some way. Do we now, or do you now have, do you think, a better understanding of what the impact of a CBDC is likely to be on the current structures, uh, both of central banking and of commercial banking? Uh, I would say after the experience that I've had over the past maybe year and a half, um, actually working on deployments that I do, but it's also what I've realized is this is not something you can read about. This is something that you actually have to go and, and do because every central bank works a little bit differently. Um, every country is sovereign and has slightly different ways of doing monetary policy. They have different uh, capital regimes, they have different monetary regimes. Um, so I think very much it's bespoke, at least at, at this stage and probably forever, uh, in, in terms of, um, you know, kind of how this is being issued. But that given, um, I think that there are certain things that are common across countries. So you mentioned bank disintermediation, you know, commercial bank disintermediation. It's in the interest of every single country that's doing an issuance to not disintermediate commercial banks because they're really the backbone of financial stability. And we've seen that in every case, in every single live issuance, distribution is done through banks. It's not done directly by the central bank. And that's to avoid this, 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 this disintermediation potential. 
as you point out, uh, a CBDC which dis in disintermediated commercial banks is is not going to be very successful. Commercial banks have got to survive. If we look at uh, the way economies and financial economies work today, you know most of the money is created by commercial banks. So, do you, as a result of the, the literature review, have a better idea now of exactly what forms commercial bank money? is likely to take and how CBDCs will interact with that commercial bank money. The sort of things I'm thinking of here are, uh, are stable coins and uh, more and more tokenized deposits as forms of commercial bank money. I think right now what is happening today is they're all existing. They're all coexisting. Um, although if you actually look at it carefully, um, there are very few countries which have issued uh, CBDCs, which also have sort of active stable coins. Um, it tends to be one or the other. Um, and the, the, the second point about that is increasingly what we're seeing in, in um, particularly around digital assets is that CBDC is being um, sort of included in the vision to underpin these different uh, financial networks. Um, because right now you can you can certainly settle without a central bank digital currency. That's that's fine. You can do that with private money. Um, but if you could do it with CBDC, then you do the transaction, the execution, and the settlement all together. And and so that's that's a, a net new way of doing things, and it's it's pretty interesting. So I think what we're seeing is in the future this vision where CBDC would underpin um, a, a lot of these these digital assets. Um, and kind of financial networks. Uh, today, we see them acting very separately. And the third point is about consumers, because one thing that you see in a lot of the literature is this discussion of sovereign money. So there's this assumption that sovereign money, which if right now is money that's issued by the central bank, so uh, cash, is fundamentally different from private sector money. So credit, what banks are issuing. But it's unclear that consumers actually make a distinction between those. The literature certainly does, um, and certainly we've done it in reports as well. But there's very, very little evidence about how consumers think about money. Um, is it important for them to use sovereign currency? It, it, it's unclear. Um, and the existing issuances that we have, which are live, um, have very, very low adoption, below 0.2%. And so we can't really draw any data from that because the usage is, is so low. Um, so, so that's, I think, you know, where we are right now in terms of what we know about how, how these different types of money will interact. You're making it pretty clear that there are lots of things we don't know, uh, despite the, uh, if, you know, the, the fluctuations and, and uh, of large volume, if you like, of, of academic papers and uh, commercial papers being published in, in this area. But are there specific gaps in the literature that you reviewed where you feel that there's an opportunity for more work to be done or you would like to know more? Well, you know, there's there's a couple of different things that, that we found in the literature review, um, which people tend to pass over because you look at it and you say, oh, there's hundreds of papers. Um, but those hundreds of papers actually, you know, are not that different. Um, you know, the, the first thing is, of course, what we talked about before, it's, it's not based on empirical data. The, the papers are theoretical papers um, because there is no good empirical data yet. 
Um, the second is that a lot of these papers are partial equilibrium models, and that matters a lot because, you know, kind of the, the best way to do this would be a general equilibrium model. But general equilibrium models are, are also very, very difficult to put together. Um, and, and we do see a, a movement in that direction, but, but the large, large majority uh, is, is partial equilibrium. And then I think the final thing that we see in the literature is even though it, it often isn't based on a specific country, if you actually look at the um, kind of way the papers are framed, they're based on an economy very similar to the US or the EU or the UK. Um, and when there is data, it's based on the UK and the US. And those economies are very, very unique. Right. So if you're thinking about how is a CBDC, um, you know, going to perform in a country with a fixed exchange rate or, um, you know, an open capital account, thing, things that are not exactly the same, um, the literature becomes a lot less informative um, for those types of countries. So um, and, and I think this gets back to the, the data issue. You, you're gonna, where you see literature, it's going to be based in countries where there is a great deal of data. And the largest volumes of data that we have are US, EU, and UK. Um, but that's certainly not you know, typical of every country. And in fact, it's very atypical of countries that have already issued CBDCs. You said a few minutes ago that uh, CBDCs are something which you have to do rather than read about. Uh, and however disappointing that is for those of us who like to read about things, uh, you've also pointed out that a lot of the, the papers are, of course, academic, somewhat detached, somewhat somewhat abstract. So in in this area, as in so many other areas of, of, of life, you know, there's theory and then there's practice. Are you able to say how far you think the practice, and you have pointed out there's not actually been many real issues out there, are you able to say how far practice has strayed away from the theory that you read about in the papers you have read? Um, I don't think that it's strayed um, so much that it's separate. Um, in terms of the papers, there's actually two types. So when we did this literature review, there's there's academic papers. And so those are the ones that I was talking about that take you know, a, a year or two or more to publish. So they're never at the cutting edge of you know, what is happening. But on the other hand, there's policy papers. And so the policy papers are those that you see coming out of the IMF or the BIS. Um, which have a much faster turnaround and are, to the extent possible, um, based on their interactions with countries that are thinking about issuing or that are participating uh, in proofs of concept or, you know, beginning the process of, of, of producing a, a central bank digital currency. Um, so I think the policy papers are closer to what's happening, but also the whole, the whole point in having this literature is to think about things that we haven't seen yet. Um, so, you know, what happens if there's a giant cyber attack? Um, the paper would have looked at that. What happens if we have, um, if we do FX using automated market makers? Um, we don't see that in practice, but also the practice is just at the beginning. And so the papers are kind of a little bit further afield, kind of thinking about, okay, five years from now or 10 years from now, what, what choices might we have to make? Where, whereas practice is, okay, we're going to issue this next month, you know, how do we account for it in the central banking system? How do we make sure that it interacts with 
um, you know, existing payment rails so that merchants can accept it, for example. Um, so the, the problems that are being dealt with when you're on the ground issuing a central bank digital currency are, are slightly different than what the, you know, the policy papers or the academic papers are looking at, because those are like a little bit more forward looking and kind of taking a more long term view. What if I put the question to the the other way round? You've pointed out that we don't actually have a, a general e economic equilibrium model to apply to this this problem yet. It'd be a very difficult thing to do. You've also pointed out we don't have many working examples of CBDCs, and those that we do have have not experienced exactly high levels of of take up. But to put the question to the other way, has practice uncovered flaws or shortcomings in the theory of CBDCs that's described in the many papers that you've read? Well, I would okay. So first, I want to like make a, a a little bit of a correction. There is there is a general equilibrium model that is increasingly being used. So this is a DSGE model, um, a dynamic stochastic general equilibrium model. Um, it's been used for um, a, you know a, a good amount of time um, in cross border country studies, uh, or sorry, in in country studies. But increasingly, it's being used in the CBDC literature to kind of consider what impact a CBDC might have. Um, so there, there is a model, it's not widely used, but increasingly is. There is there's a recent paper on uh, Bahrain that used it uh, as an example. Um, so, so there is a, a, a model that exists. Um, but back to your question, in, in, in terms of uh, sort of practice uh, un uncovering shortcomings um, in the theory, I think until there's a lot of data, we're not going to see a big difference between those um, because of this disconnect between the kind of long term visionary stuff that you see coming out of the academic literature and the more shorter term, you know, policy decisions that are being made on the ground. Um, I would love to see countries issuing releasing more data. I mean, they they have it. It's just proprietary um, and it's, it's generally not shared. So to the extent that, you know, maybe maybe neutral third parties like the IMF or the BIS can gather that data or can work together with those issuing countries, that's going to be huge. I mean, that would be so great for the literature to just get a really clear idea of what happens to the velocity of money, for example, um, that we can kind of model it, but it's it's not that easy. And, and so having good data would be would be really, really important. You used the term the long term visionary thing. Is there a risk here? And this is probably a bigger question than it appears. Is there a vision here? We've, we've been talking about CBDCs now for, in my case, seven or eight years now, um, possibly longer for other people. Is there a, a danger here that, that the theorizing about it, the vision thing, is, is running so far ahead of practice that it's actually becoming a a problem. We're, we're talking about a sort of something which has no practical presence in the world at all. And the more we talk about it, the more difficult that practical presence comes to achieve. I mean, in short, is, is theory run too far ahead of practice? Oh, that's a that's a very, very interesting way to phrase that question. Um, I think theory has has a must run ahead of practice. Uh, it, it's important that it does, and it's good that it does, but certainly some of it is going to be wrong. Um, I mean, take the, the example of AMM that I mentioned earlier. Um, there are, last year, I think there were maybe three or four papers about it. Um, 
is it something we're going to see anytime soon? Certainly not. Um, because it's kind of taking an instrument that you see in DeFi and moving it into traditional finance. And there's a number of different adaptions that would have to happen that would be fairly complicated. Um, so yes, I think to answer your question directly, theory has run ahead of practice, but I think that's its, that's its role. It, it absolutely should be doing that. Um, because five or 10 years from now, when central banks are thinking about, okay, well, how do we do FX with low liquidity currencies? Maybe AMM becomes the answer, and we already have a, a, a you know a solid foundation of of beginning discussions that we can then take forward. Um, so I, th I think there will be ebbs and flows in in terms of you know theory and practice working together um, as, as we go forward. If I was running a central bank, I, I'd be wanting to ask you what have you learned that will actually be useful to me? And what I mean by that is, has this literature review enabled you to distill all this theory and all this practice into a sort of set of, I was about to say maxims, but I probably don't mean that. I probably mean some sort of empirically sound assumptions, which could be used by any central bank in any marketplace as they begin work on a CBDC project. And here are the eight or 10 things which you can absolutely bet will influence how your CBDC project unfolds. Do those um, assumptions exist or not? Uh, I would say sort of, um, which I know is not the answer that you're looking for, mm -hmm. but it, it gets a very to economist the... answer that one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand and on the other hand. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, certainly there there are some kind of benchmarks that we see in most of the issuing economies um, and that the literature supports, you know, so for example, one would be uh, interest rate on CBDCs. Every issuance has a 0% interest rate. Doesn't have to. I mean, this is an instrument you could put an interest rate on. But what we know from the literature, though not really the practice, because in practice we only have zero, um, is that the higher the interest rate, the higher the adoption. And that's kind of interesting given what we, we talked about earlier, where adoption is incredibly low. So maybe the solution is to put on an interest rate. But then of course, interest rate, we know from the literature, has a number of other um, issues, which is that if you put a, an interest rate on it, you're definitely gonna disintermediate banks because nobody is gonna wanna keep their money in banks if you can get a higher interest rate on your CBDC and you can keep it in a wallet. Um, so I, I think there are certain things like, there are certainly things like that um, or commercial bank disintermediation. There's been an enormous amount of work on that. Um, I, I would say in the literature where we know the most about is financial stability. Um, it, we've kind of, the literature has gone through every single potential problem with financial stability and how that could be adjusted by central bank digital currency or what we could do to um, attenuate any impacts of central bank digital currency on, on finan creating financial instability. Um, so I think in that area, we know a lot. The literature is incredibly helpful. There's not too much more that needs to be done. Now, where there does need to be much more research, which is difficult to do, is in monetary policy. Um, so how is the central bank going to deal with the issuance of um, a CBDC and how will that, that impact monetary operations? How will it impact liquidity management, um, liquidity forecasting? Um, the literature has much less information on that, but I think that's also because that is something that's much more specific to each economy, whereas financial stability is sort of 
something we understand. It's not so different between every economy, although there are certainly differences. Um, so, you know, just to kind of tie it off, I think there's no single blueprint, though the literature gives us a very good sort of path forward on financial stability. This risks asking the same question all over again, but but does the literature also give you a sense of the paths you shouldn't go down? In other words, is it possible to discern a CBDC project at quite an early stage where it's going down paths or doing things or making assumptions, which mean it's bound to fail? I have not seen that um, because I think it's unclear at this stage if there's anything that would like definitely lead it to fail. I mean, we can say certain things like if there's no merchant adoption, that would probably be terrible. Um, if there's no reason for consumers to use it, that would probably also be not great. Um, so I think to some extent, um, the answer to your question is targeted use cases. So it's pretty clear that there need to be obvious use cases for why you would issue this. So, for example, a lot of the current issuances um, focus on financial inclusion. So if there's a large part of your population that doesn't have access to bank accounts, um, this is one potential way to give them access. Now, whether that actually bears fruit in practice um, is unclear, um, given the adoption rates, it seems that that is not really happening, but it could certainly be the timing of the issuances. Most of them happened during COVID. Um, it could be, you know, educational campaigns around this. So it's it's clear where the problems are, but it's less clear what the solutions are. Um, and I, you know, I, I guess I would go back to the one thing that I am fascinated by that the literature doesn't tell us, which is what is consumer behavior around central bank digital currencies? I mean, this is the critical thing we don't know. How do people feel about them? How do people use them? Um, you know, to have that kind of data, that would really give us um, a much clearer idea of whether a project is gonna fail or not. Because when you ask it that way, it can fail because of the central bank, it can fail because of commercial banks, wallet issuers or consumers or merchants. And the large entities, like the entities in the financial sector or merchants, we have a fairly clear idea of what is going on with that, but consumers, we have almost no insight in, into consumer behavior. This is my my final question. And in a way, it's just asking you where we've got to. You pointed out there've been very few CBDCs in issue. Those that have been issued have experienced low take up. Uh, it's been uh, difficult to, to make even those use cases, which appear to be obvious, uh, difficult to make them work in practice. You've said a number of times there's a shortage of data to work out what, what's going on here. And we have very little experience or indeed data about how consumers and merchants are actually going to interact with these CBDCs. So my question is, are you know, we're in the pioneering stage here clearly on, on CBDCs and maybe the pioneers as always have got the arrows here uh, because they were prepared to not only start work on something, but actually put something into the marketplace, possibly prematurely before everything had been thought through. Is that where we've got to? We've had some pioneers who've just gone a bit too early uh, on assumptions which haven't proved to be to be valid or or what? What do you think? Where have we got to? I am so proud of the pioneers. <laughs> um, mm. I, I think somebody had to be a first mover. 
And I'm delighted that it was developing countries because I think this is absolutely the correct way to do this. Because, you know, you think about any kind of project, you wanna start in the simplest way. And what do you have in the markets that have issued central bank digital currencies? You have relatively uncomplicated financial sectors. You have a limited number of commercial banks. You have a limited number of payment service providers. And so this is exactly where you wanna start because you want to uh, you know, not have to deal with the complexities that you would have in like the US market, um, which is one reason I, I think that it's it's taking much, much longer for markets like the US and like the EU to, to, to move forward with issuance. Um, so uh, I'm, I don't think the pioneers move too fast. Um, you can't wait forever. I mean, you can, I guess, but also what happens if you're a pioneer is that you're defining this field. So the way that central bank digital currencies are, are going to be designed going forward very much are based on these countries that have already issued them. So, you know, we, we see this all the time when we work with clients and they say, well, what is the benchmark? And the benchmark is everybody that's already issued. So those pioneer countries are actually, you know, forming the future of central bank digital currencies. Um, and I'm, so, so I guess to your point, they, they do have the arrows, right? I mean, they're the ones that are kind of defining the direction early on. Um, but certainly, you know, and I would kind of close this off by saying, every country is constantly revisiting their central bank digital currency. They're not like issuing it and going like, okay, like best of luck market, <laughs> take it up. Uh, I, you know, they are going back and, and saying like, okay, well, how can we improve merchant uptake or, you know, I think uh, it's Jamaica, maybe where they have uh, kind of like a cash back um, to increase adoption. So there's there's different methods that we see countries testing out and trying out. Um, and it'll be really interesting to, you know, have that um, going forward, particularly when we have more complex economies that have much more complicated problems um, that will be based on the design that was done by these emerging economies in the beginning. I, that's, I'm, I'm so delighted about that. It's a good point to, to end on there. This is never going to be a fire and forget. This is going to be something which you have to keep going back to. It's a continuous process where you have to adapt to what is happening in the marketplace. Uh, Alyssa DiCaprio, thank you very much for taking the time to share with the members of Future of Finance what you found out from your extensive review of the literature about CBDCs. Great. Well, thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad somebody was interested in hearing about it.